0: So if I were to start this morning by asking you, would you rather your kids grow up to be like Mother Teresa or Gordon Gecko? What would you say? Now, some of you, first of all, would say, well, who is, who is Gordon Gecko?" Uh, he's a character from a very old film called Wall Street, uh, very much like the character in a more current movie, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, in the original Wall Street movie, Gordon Gecko is known for his speech Greed is good. His speech to shareholders went this way. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, Will not only save Teldar paper, but that other manufacturing corporation called the United States of America. Thank you very much. Would you rather your child grow up to be Gordon Gecko, who says things like that? Or Mother Teresa, who said, There are no great things, only small things with great love. Happier those. Or I found the paradox that if I love until it hurts, there is no hurt. But only more love. Or every time you smile at someone, it is an action of love, a gift to that person, a beautiful thing. So, would you rather your child grow up to be Gordon Gecko, or more, our mother Teresa? Now, we all would probably say right now, we're in church. We would all say, "Well, of course, Mother Teresa." That sounds much better. But in our hearts, we're probably saying. Well, Mother Teresa, as long as they don't move away and live in a slum, as long as they don't get too far away from home, as long as, well, maybe as long as they find a spouse, as long as they have a better standard of living than Mother Teresa did, as long as they're safe. So, so maybe in our hearts we would say, well, I would like them to have Mother Teresa's character as long as they had Gordon Gekka's wealth and security in status we we know what we should want right because we're a church and we're like well i should want that but we also know in our hearts what we really want for our children and for ourselves as well so what we're going to talk about this morning is what we do want what we should want and how we become people who want what we should want all right so mark chapter 10 And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So pray with me. Uh, Father, thank you for this text that we have uh, before us this morning. I pray that you would help me to handle it uh, carefully and clearly. I pray that you would make the truth of the gospel plain to us. I pray that you give us hearts uh, to believe the gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what we do want what we should want and how do we want what we should where do we find the power to want what we should want so first of all what we do want verse 35 james and john come up to jesus and they say teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, you Now, it's pretty bold kind of asking jesus to, to hand you a sign a blank check for you and jesus says well what do you want me to do for you And they say, we want to sit at your right and left hand in glory. Now, the disciples are expecting that Jesus is bringing in this coming promised messianic age. The time of God's rule. The time of God's kingdom. The time when the the Romans will finally be overthrown. And they know that Jesus is going to have the position of highest honor in the kingdom. And so what they're asking is they get to have the second and third positions of honor in the kingdom, they're, they're, they're jockeying for position in the incoming administration. Uh, Jesus will go on to say to them in verse 42 Look, you're basically doing what the Gentiles do in seeking positions of power so that you can lord it over other people. You're, you're, you're looking for authority, you're looking for greatness, you're looking for status. You're looking for status. And you know, those are things that, that we look for too. Those are things that our hearts long for too. It doesn't look the same for all of us. We're not all looking for some position in the next president's cabinet. But our hearts crave the protection, the comfort, the power, the control, the sense of righteousness, the identity that come with having status in our culture. Uh, we want to use status as a way to insulate ourselves from the hardships of life in a broken world. Uh, when, when we lived in Boone, I was always on the lookout for a, the perfect winter jacket. All right, you wanted something that was not too heavy but not too light. Something that was breathable, breathable something that you could kind of hike in and not get too hot. Uh, Something that you could sit in a football game in and not get too cold. And there's really no such jacket. And so I had kind of a a multitude of jackets. Status is one of those ways, one of those things we use to insulate ourselves from the elements of the brokenness of this world. It's one of the the ways we try to to give ourselves an identity, give ourselves a sense of worth. If I can achieve this, then I'll have value. Then I'll matter. Now let me, let me paint the picture a little differently. Uh, I think we often find ourselves wanting to, to climb to the top of the mountain, trying to get away from kind of the, the scramble for resources beneath us to get away from the scrum, the rugby scrum beneath us. If I can just get to this level, whether it's income or achievement or status or whatever, whatever you want to call it, I'll be removed from that chaos Beneath me. And everything will be a little smoother if I can achieve these things. If I can get to this level, people will respect me. They'll finally respect me. Uh, maybe the The Family Man starring Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is trying to convince his wife that they need to leave their small town and move to, to New York City so he can take this great new job making twice, twice the amount of money he's currently making and she's, she's resisting. She doesn't want to go. And so uh, th- this is what he says to her. He says, I'll be making twice as much money. We can put Annie and Josh in private schools. And his wife says, she already has a great school. He says, I'm talking about the best schools in the country. She continues to resist. He says, you're not understanding me. I'm talking about a perfect life. A great life. Everything we pictured when we were young. The whole thing. Yeah, life has thrown us a few surprises, but now I want to get us back on track. I want to do that. I need to do that as a man for all of us. Just think about it. No more lousy restaurants. No more clipping coupons. No more shoveling snow. And she says, well, just buy a snowblower. Uh, uh, Don't you see, he finally says, don't you see I'm talking about us finally having a life that other people envy that other people envy see it's more status is about more than just comfort and ease it's about having that sense of righteousness having that identity having a life that other people envy so we we put this goal in front of us uh, this this mountain to climb as it were this this perfect life to grab hold of. Uh, it, it doesn't look the same for all of us. What, what does that look like for you? What's the, what's the perfect life that you're trying to grab hold of? What are you, what are you striving after? What are you trying to get to? And, and what do you think it's going to do for you once you get there? What do you think that's going to change fundamentally about your life? Uh, if we, we have this goal, if we struggle to get there, if we feel like we're not doing well, we beat ourselves up. Uh, if other people get in our way, we, we quarrel and we fight with them, which may be uh, one of the reasons the other disciples are actually so upset with James and John because their hearts are really set on the same sort of thing. We, we burn the candle at both ends. We neglect people we love trying to reach our dream because we're convinced ourselves, if I can just reach this then everything's going to be okay. If we fail in climbing the mountain, because it's going to do everything for us, it crushes us. Uh, Margot Isakin, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right or not, she's a pentathlete, uh, competed in the Olympics. Uh, In in the London Olympics in 2012, she finished fourth. So just outside of, of the medals, and she said, I just remember thinking, wow, if I had run a second faster or got one extra fencing touch, that I would have won a medal. And I just came home and felt so defeated and so sad. And so she, she signed up to compete again for the 2016 Olympics. She had a stress fracture in her leg. She had surgery five weeks before the Olympics. And she competed anyway. And this time she finished 20th. 20th. And this is what she said. It makes you feel sort of worthless. It's really a strong word, but that's kind of how I feel right now. I really feel like I've let myself down, let my coaches down, and that's hard. And then you don't know if you want to put yourself through that again. And so we, 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 I've got to get this, and we don't get it and we're crushed, and we, our sense of self-worth evaporates, and we don't know what to do with ourselves. But if we succeed, on the other hand... It is great for a while, and let's be honest, it does help to insulate you from some of the effects of a a fallen world, but that brokenness of the world still manages to seep in through the cracks, doesn't it? It still manages to, to get in to our lives. No matter how much power we think we can exert over the world, the brokenness still finds its way in, and no matter how successful we are, we're never quite satisfied. Uh, After the 2012 Olympic Games, Michael Phelps uh, couldn't figure out what to do with the rest of his life. Uh, He was so miserable, he he was contemplating taking his own life even. And his coach said to him, you have all the money that anybody your age could ever want or need. You have a profound influence in the world. You have free time. And you're the most miserable person I know. You're the most miserable person i know. What's What's up with that? We think that that status, that greatness, that glory, that if we get that, we're getting this medicine, this elixir that's going to make everything all right. When the Bible says that what we really need is the exact opposite of what we think that we need. Which brings us to our second point, uh, what we should want. There's what we do want, And then there's what we should want. The kingdom that Jesus brings, as I think we've said before, is this upside down kingdom. Uh, He says things like, it's better to give than to receive. He says, if you save your life, you'll lose your life. If you lose your life, you'll save your life. Here in Mark 10, he pushes back against James and John and says, You guys don't really know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? Now, what's Jesus talking about there? In the Old Testament, the cup usually symbolized something to be given to you by God. It could be a cup of blessing, but more frequently it was a cup of wrath and condemnation was what the cup pictured. So what Jesus is talking about here is jesus is saying i'm going to the cross to drink the cup of god's wrath and judgment and be baptized to come under uh, his wrath the waters of god's judgment as it were and so he asked them can you undergo that baptism can you drink that cup can you follow me to that and they say yeah we, we can do that we can do that And Jesus says, you will do that. You will do that. And I think what he's saying here is that you too will experience suffering. Because the Savior that you so earnestly want to follow is a suffering Savior. He's a suffering Savior. I can't grant your request to sit at my left and right hand pattern of my life is intended to be a pattern for your life the pattern for my life is intended to set the pattern for your life and that's a cross shaped life Now, look at verse 42 again excuse me verse 43 but it shall not be so among you whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, we're trying so hard to to climb that mountain, to get away from the hardships and the difficulties of this life. And here comes Jesus along, calling us back down the mountain to enter into the hardships and the difficulties of this life. We're trying to get up there to protect ourselves and to insulate ourselves and to find comfort, and Jesus calls us back down to risk and to give freely and to serve. Uh, Anne Boskamp's a, a Christian author. He recently wrote a book called uh, "The Broken Way." I was reading an article about her recently. Every morning, she draws black crosses on her wrist. To remind her that Jesus came to deal with the world's brokenness by taking it on himself. Uh, She writes that her book is about one broken woman touching the intimate communion of the cross and finding in that cross the form and shape of her life cruciform. She says, he goes on to say that brokenness is not a barrier to life, but rather the pathway to abundant life. It's very counterintuitive. Uh, Anne lives on a farm in Canada. Uh, she's, her husband's a farmer. She's got seven seven children, and so she hasn't moved off to the Mission Field. She's she's on a, living on a big farm in Canada, but she's trying to live the cross shaped life right where she is. Uh, a year or two ago, in her uh, blog online, she was trying to, to 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 raise awareness about refugees coming into. To, to North America and she was appealing for people to treat refugees compassionately so an organization reached out to her and basically said will you put your money where your mouth is will you adopt a, a Syrian family And in a, a family of six and in, in Canada that means basically taking care of all their financial needs for a year so will you sign up to pay their rent and help them look for work and pay for schooling and learning English and, and all of that stuff and so Her family signed up to do that. 2015, she took a trip to Baghdad to see the the work that a group called Preemptive Love was doing amongst uh, victims of ISIS. And so after she saw what she saw there, she raised through her blog, she raised $20,000 for heart surgery for two teenagers there. And then she went on uh, to raise a million dollars in one month to help displaced Muslim women start their own businesses and keep their children in school. Uh, She and her husband just adopted a child from Beijing who has uh, birth defects, heart defects that are incurable. Uh, She writes, you must surrender to breaking that must happen if you want any of your own brokenness to kill. She's really interesting. She's not some huge personality. Like I said, she's not like off on the mission field she calls herself an extreme introvert whose idea of a good time is to curl up on the couch and read Jonathan Edwards Um, but but she's seeking to take she's seeking to take Jesus seriously in his call for us to to live a cross-shaped life and she's trying to do that right where she is now I don't know that any of us are going to raise a million dollars on our blog this month but, but, but what would it look like for you? you know, where is, where is Jesus calling you? I don't know where He's calling you or what He's calling you to do or what He may be calling you to give up. But I do know that Jesus continually tugs on us. He continually pulls us back down that mountain we're all trying to climb up and He pulls us down into the trenches to serve, to serve. Uh, let me give you maybe a couple places and a couple thoughts of where you might uh, start. Uh, husbands and wives. One place you can start is simply by starting with your marriage. Uh, when you've been married long enough and it doesn't take long, when you begin to see your spouse's selfishness and they begin to see your selfishness, at that point you can, you can start making demands of them and, and demand that they straighten up and, and be better you can, you can see their selfishness as primary, the primary problem in the marriage. Or you can see your own selfishness as the primary problem in the marriage and decide to serve them. Instead of making demands on them, you can say, how can, how can I love my spouse well? What would it look like for me to serve them well? Kids, what would it look like for you to serve your siblings What would it look like for you to serve your siblings instead of trying to climb the mountain and push your brothers and sisters off the mountain anytime they try to climb up there with you, anytime they get in your space, anytime they try to inconvenience you? What would it look like for you to ask yourself, what would it look like for me to serve my brother? What would it look like for me to serve my sister? What would it look like for me to put their wants before my own wants? To consider them before I consider myself. What does it look like for us as a church? For us as a church in our community groups, in our lives, to leave comfortable spaces and move into uncomfortable spaces where we can serve as Jesus served. We know what we want to do, and then we know what we should do. Like, that's not a revelation to us. We know what we should be doing. How does Jesus give us the power? To want to do what we should do. How does He give us the power to want to do what we should do? Look back at verse 32. Kind of middle of the verse. Taking the twelve again, He began to tell them what was to happen to to Him saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him and after three days he will rise, and then down to forty-five again. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sammy Rhodes is the RUF campus minister at the University of South Carolina. And I was listening to him tell a story of how when he was growing up, he was reminded over and over and over again that he was the fifth descendant of General Thomas Sumter the Gamecock if you're a native South Carolinian I'm sure that means something to you he is the great 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 grandson of General Thomas Sumter and he was reminded of that over and over and over his grandmother would pull him aside you need to realize who you are you need to know who you are his family he remembers taking a picture with his family next to a a sign being dedicated to General Thomas Sumter. That's who he was. When he went to school, he would pull kids aside. It's like, do you know who my great-great-great-great-grandfather is? And they'd be like, who's that? I don't know who that is. But but that's that's what his identity was. That's who he was tra- how he was trained to think of himself. And he said he got a little older. He got into school and he was reading some history of, of Thomas Sumter. And he found out that on Sunday mornings, Thomas Sumter would go to the Baptist church in Statesburg, South Carolina and he would have the rest of the congregation sit while he was escorted to his pew at the front of the church. And Sammy says he remember thinking, I don't know if that dude was even a Christian. I mean that's not the way a Christian would act. And so he was just disillusioned completely of this identity that he had built for himself or had handed to him as a descendant of Thomas Sumter. There's two things that have to happen for us to want to do what we should want to do. For us to want to do others. The first thing is that you and I have to be disill- disillusioned. We have to, to be, become disillusioned with the things that we've used to prop up our identity. We have to, to realize uh, how empty, how meaningless our own press clippings are, as it were. We have to realize, my ancestors were sinners, and my parents were sinners, and I'm a sinner as well. We have to, to, to see the emptiness of the own status we've been building for ourselves. But there's a second thing we have to figure out as well. There's a second thing we have to figure out as well. And that's this. Yes, my ancestors were broken, and my parents were broken, and I'm broken. And yet Jesus came down off of a glorious mountain to die for me, to serve me, to rescue me. He came down for me in the midst of all my sin, in the midst of all my status seeking, to rescue me. Uh, Jean LaRue is, is a friend of mine, is a pastor, who tells a story of this Young woman coming up to him, uh, a young woman from his congregation coming up to him and saying, You talk a lot about grace, but I'm pretty sure you're not as holy as I am. But you're a lot happier than I am, and I'm angry about it. And I want to understand how do I get grace? How do I understand it? And he he said to her, The first thing you need to do is you need to stop trying to get grace. And so she started writing that down. He said, no, no, don't write. This is not something you check off and and do. And then he said, your understanding of grace is going to be driven by your experience of grace. And so she started writing that down. He's like, no, no, don't. No, I'm not giving you something to write down. And this is a single woman who had come to him. And he finally said, look, go get pregnant outside of wedlock and then keep coming to this church and keep going to your same community group and keep going to your same Sunday school class And then listen to everybody in the hall gossiping about you. I want you to to do that. And then every time you start to feel the shame of what you have done, I want you to listen to the words of Zephaniah 3.17. Do y'all know what those are? You ought to know what those are. We use those as a benediction quite a lot. This is Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I want you to go to that verse every time you feel the shame of what you've done. And she looked at him and said, Do you really want me to do that? He said, No, but if you did, you'd have a public, scandalous sin that you couldn't clean up or work off, and you'd be left with nothing but Jesus. And then you'd get grace. Then you'd get grace. When, when you and I see our own sin in such a way that we're left with nothing but Jesus, when we see that because Jesus loved us, that's why He was condemned to death and mocked and spit upon and flogged and killed. When we see that, when we see that He takes great delight in us, He takes great delight in you and that's why He came to serve you, That's why He came to go to the cross. When you see Him coming down the mountain, going to the cross for you, to save you, to give you eternal life, to free you from the fear of death. When we see those things, when we see those things, that's when we'll begin to be freed from our incessant attempts to attempt to climb the mountain. And we'll come down the mountain in response to Jesus' love, and begin to live cross shaped lives ourselves. We pray for us. Father, I pray that what would lead to us, uh, leave off the page to us from this text is your love for us. Uh, and, and, and the way you have sent Jesus to rescue us, and Lord Jesus, the way that you, you, you did these things. You served, you you gave your life as a ransom for many, and that many is not just some faceless thing, but that's people in this room who are called and loved by you. Uh, So, Father, I I pray that you'd help us to see these things, help us to see your love for us, and I pray that as we get that, that that would make us willing to come down off the mountains we try to climb and to to go into the valleys uh, and serve others. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.